Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. Westside's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy and thanks for tuning in. Uh, I'm going to read from Mark chapter one. We're in this sermon series in Mark. Mark is kind of like a source text for so many things. Um, It's an account of the life of Jesus. And um, it perhaps maybe was even one of the first accounts that was written down. And so we're just, we're just going through the book of Mark. And when we first started, I thought, I don't know, maybe we'll be like eight weeks in Mark. But I'll tell you, we're five weeks into Mark and we're, we're like not even out of chapter one. All right. So I don't know where this is going and I don't know where it'll head. And I'm only around for a few more weeks, so I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but but um, I just thought the best way forward is let's keep going through the book of Mark. And tonight is dynamite. Let me read it to you. Uh, this is Mark chapter one, starting in verse four. And so John the Baptist, appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Starts with this kind of strange guy. He's in the wilderness and he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to, went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. Um, somebody you'd see at Saturday Market, you know, like somebody like that. Uh, So it just feels like he's right at home here in Eugene. Um, And it says, and this was his message. After after me comes the one more, more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he, he's talking about Jesus. He said, when the Messiah comes, he's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the guy that John was talking about. Now he's here. And he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Imagine this, like John's talking about this Messiah who's coming. And then, and then in another one of the gospels, it talks a little bit, gives us more details about John. He's in the Jordan baptizing people and he sees Jesus and it's like, oh, there he is. This is it. This is the moment. And Mark says, and just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And at once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. Um, so yeah, we've, we've been in several weeks in the book of Mark. We started out by asking some, I feel like some compelling questions that should kind of work on our hearts a little bit. We started talking about, you know, what is the gospel according to Jesus? What is this good news according to Jesus? Is it news that we can kind of come up with on our own? Can we make up our own gospel? Or should we know what Jesus, what, what gospel Jesus preached? And what we talked about was that a lot of times when the gospel, the good news is preached, it's usually kind of said in terms of if you want to go to heaven and if you don't want to go to hell, believe in Jesus and then you'll go to heaven and not hell. And that sometimes is what, how the gospel is proclaimed to many people. And while, while, that's, while there's truth to that, the gospel, the good news is so much 
better. It's so much bigger than that. It encompasses so much more. So we talked about what is the gospel that Jesus preached? And we discovered that Jesus preached a gospel that was more about the kingdom. He said, he said that the time has come. The kingdom of God is here. And then we talked about what is discipleship according to Jesus? What does it mean to follow him? And what we learned is that following him wasn't just, you know, believe some New Testament facts and, you know, get, you know, say the sinner's prayer. And then I get to go to heaven after I die. While those are components of being a disciple, being a disciple is so so much more. And then if you missed last week, you, you got to listen to it. Dan talked about what is, how do we treat people according to Jesus? How did Jesus treat people? If we can figure out how Jesus treated people, that gives us a clue of how we get to treat people. And that was dynamite last week. So you don't want to miss it. Today, today is so, so important because today I want to talk about this, like this missing piece that maybe some of us are missing. Have you ever done a, a puzzle and isn't it the absolute worst when there's a missing piece at the end. You've spent days and days and days perhaps on this incredible puzzle and you've kept track because you know what it feels like to get to the end and miss a piece. And then you get to the end and it, it's just like, it's just not complete. You know what I mean? You just can't, you can't tell your friends that you've finished a puzzle. You, and that just angers you because you have to have that last piece. In my house, I have four kids. And so we never finish a puzzle completely uh, because pieces just run away. But uh, it, it's so frustrating when you are missing that piece. And I have a feeling that you and I, there's this missing piece sometimes that we miss that is so central to our discipleship, so central to our, our, to our ability to be transformed that for some of us, we've been struggling and wrestling. And it's because maybe we've, we've missed this, this little missing piece that, uh, that, is, that we just read in, in the scriptures. Here's what we said a couple weeks ago about discipleship. We said, this is kind of like our working definition of what a disciple is. It's a disciple of Jesus is someone who is with Jesus. Disciple is someone who is with Jesus in order to become like Jesus and then is capable of doing what Jesus did. I'm with him and then I'm gonna, he's gonna be like formed in me and then I get to go and do the things that Jesus did. We get to follow him, we get to be apprenticed to him and we get to be transformed into his likeness, which all sounds really great, right? Like, that sounds great. But if you're like me, you know, you might be like, okay, that, that sounds awesome, pastor. But like, how exactly does that happen? Like, how in the world am I supposed to be transformed into Jesus? How in the world am I supposed to really like do the things that Jesus did? Because I need help because I'm like trying here, you know? And it just seems like things are moving real slow. How in the world do I become like Jesus and do the things that he did? Like you might be like me, you might be struggling with the how, with the with the how to, but you also might be struggling with the want to. You know, there's like two thing, couple things going on. Like we've got to have the want to, but you also have to have the how to. And you might have the how to, but not the want to, or you might have the want to, but not the how to. But like we just need help in the middle of all of that. And where is our help gonna come from? It's like, it's like I want to be transformed, but transformation is so hard. Change is hard. Just changing is hard. I think one of my favorite movies growing up was Rocky IV. Anybody can just get an amen from someone in the room. Rocky IV. If you've never seen Rocky IV, like, we'll pray for you after service, you know. Um, we'll have a special spot for you over here. We'll pray. But uh, in Rocky IV, he's going to go fight Ivan Drago. And there's this scene where he's talking to his wife, and she's at the top of the stairs, and he's at the bottom of the stairs, and he's going to go train in Russia. And she's like, you can't win. 
And he's, and he's like, he's like, I have to go fight. You know, actually I should do my best Sylvester Stallone. He's like, people don't change, Adrian. Remember that part? He's like, I'm a fighter. People don't change. People can't change who they are, you know? Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, thanks. No, don't clap. No, don't clap. Okay, clap just a little bit. It was, it was good. You know, he, people don't change, you know? We just kind of have to like, that, that, is who, that is who you are, you know? Like, um, and our culture kind of says some similar things like that too, right? Like you be you, you know, this is who you are, like that sort of thing. Change is hard, but here's what we believe. We believe that with that buried at the core of Christianity, that there is this power for change, like real transformation that is unequaled and unique, unique. That no other worldview can give you this kind of transformation that at the core of Christianity we have. We have the ability to be transformed. Here's what our model of transformation in church world has often been for the past maybe 100 years, 200 years. We, we, we have like a model for change, but I, and I'm showing you this model, not because I think it's the, the, the best model, but this often has been like Christianity's or, or the church, capital C church, like our, our strategy for change. Can we put that strategy up there? There's three things. We've said, believe the gospel, which is in a lot of ways, remember we said that, hey, just believe some New Testament facts and you know, believe that Jesus rose from the dead and you're gonna go to heaven and not hell. Believe the gospel, then go to church, and then try to be good. That's kind of been the model for a Christian change for a long, long time. It's like, hey, how do I get transformed around here? I'll tell you, believe the gospel, come to church, and then try not to sin too much, you know? Try to be good. And I wanna tell you that like, um, I'm, I don't have a problem with, these are all great things, but these aren't, they're not enough. Like they're not powerful enough. Like there's a missing piece the missing piece that I'm talking about is like, it's not in here. And this is why sometimes we just run up against like, well, how come I'm, I mean, I believe and it's like, I'm following you, Jesus, but like, how come I'm not being transformed? There's this missing piece. And here's what it is. It's almost as if like, in order to be like Jesus and do what he did, it's, it's almost like we need the same spirit that he had. Oh, actually, you know what? That's exactly what we've been given. The Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit. This is this missing piece, the Holy Spirit. Now I realize guys, um, you know, we are what's considered a Pentecostal church. Now that might be a new phrase to you, but Pentecostal just essentially just means we believe that the Holy Spirit is, a, is like, is a real thing, a, a person, a part of the, the, the Trinity and that we have access to the Holy Spirit, God's spirit in us to do all those things that we said a disciple could do, be with Jesus and to be apprenticed to Jesus, to have Jesus formed in us and then to be launched out into the world. We, we believe, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Now I realize that when I start talking about the Holy Spirit, um, we, there's, there's some reactions that might be happening in the room. There might be some of you that are like, holy who? Like, <laughs> I haven't heard about the Holy Spirit. Uh, some of you might be like, uh-oh, I've heard about these churches. Like, is this one of those churches where like people like wear like white suits and handle snakes and, you know, like, are they going to make us all try to speak in tongues and, you know, repeat after me? And I say, should have bought a Honda. And then everybody's supposed to, you know, like I've heard about these churches and like, oh no, you're one of these churches. So people get nervous when people, when, when maybe the pastor starts talking about the Holy Spirit. And then there's another group of people where you're like, oh, finally. Now we're gonna to get to the good stuff. Now he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, there's a, we come, we're coming from lots of different places when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Here's the deal. 
Um, some churches talk about nothing else besides Holy Spirit experiences. That's all they talk about. And then some churches don't talk about the Holy Spirit very much at all. And I just, I want Westside to be balanced. I want us to be balanced. Um, I want us to acknowledge the Holy Spirit and talk about the Holy Spirit. And that's what's happening at the very beginning of Mark. Notice Jesus hasn't done any miracles yet. And Jesus is, gets baptized in the Jordan River. And a couple things are, are happening at the same time. I'll read it to you. This is, this is verse 10 and 11. It says, just as Jesus was coming out out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, which is like a cool phrase. It's the same phrase of like, like the curtain after Jesus was crucified and the, tur- the curtain in the temple was like torn open. It's like we have access to God because that tur- curtain was, was torn open. It's just like heaven's being torn open. And it's like heaven's like coming to earth in like a cool way. And it says that the spirit descended on him. The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. It's actually one of the places in scripture where we see the Trinity all in one place. It's like, if you're trying to describe like, how is God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Well, this is kind of one of those places where we see it all happening in just like two verses. So if you have God the Father saying, this is my son, you have Jesus there in the water and then you have the Holy Spirit all coming and it's like, oh man, how does this all work together? And then you'll notice that Jesus right away then is whisked off onto mission. He's whisked off into the wilderness. And then this is the beginning of his earthly ministry. Jesus starts right here and then heads out. And then this is when the miracles happen. This is where the water turns to wine. This is when people start getting healed. It starts with Jesus being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I've got a question for you. Maybe you've never thought of, the, thought of it this way, but I think this is so important for us to understand. How did Jesus do the things that he did? Here's a question. How did Jesus do the things that he did? He did such incredible things. How did Jesus do all these incredible, miraculous things that Jesus did? Now, our answer might be, well, I know how he did those things. He's God, he's divine. Jesus was a human, but also when he wanted to heal people, he just kind of tapped into his divinity because he's God, right? And yes, he is God. He's God and man all together. But it's not like it is like Superman. Think about Superman for a second, all right? Superman is his, his he's, he's actually Superman, but his kind of alter ego is who? Clark Kent, right? And when Clark Kent is walking around, he's you know, got a business suit on, but underneath, guess what he has? He's got the suit, right? And so Clark Kent is actually like Superman underneath. And so Clark Kent can like do like superhuman things when he's dressed up like Clark Kent. It's because he's leaning into his Superman-ness, you know? And so sometimes we think that this is what Jesus is doing when he's healing people. He's, here's Jesus walking around, he's a human, but when he's, when he's doing miraculous things, oh, he's, you know, he's opening up the shirt, you know? It's like, oh, I'm really divine, you know? So he opens up the thing. And yes, Jesus is divine, but here's what we know, that Jesus, in such a beautiful, like mysterious, wonderful way, Jesus comes to earth and he sets aside his divinity and he embraces his humanity. And so I ask you, how did Jesus do the things that he did? Here's how. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus does no miracles before he is empowered by the Spirit. But the Spirit comes on Jesus and suddenly now he's launched out onto mission. 
And I just feel like if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, then we need the Holy Spirit. If Jesus was a, if that was like the thing operating in Jesus's life that was, that was so miraculous and beautiful, then that's the same thing that we need at the center of our lives in order for us to be transformed into the way of Jesus. Um, I've got a, I've got a blaze, but I, you know, I just, sometimes I talk to people and there's, there's a lot of misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit. And I say that with, in a humble way, like there's lots that I need to learn. There's lots that I need to learn. So I am not the expert. But here's, I've learned a few things, but here's, in my years, I just want to share like just three really quick Holy Spirit myths, okay? Three Holy Spirit myths that might be helpful. Because I don't know kind of what you were taught or what kind of church you came from or, um, or what you've heard about the Holy Spirit. Um, but a couple things, Holy Spirit myths. Myth number one is the Holy Spirit makes you do weird stuff, all right? That's myth number one. Sometimes we have this, like, this, we push back against the Holy Spirit because it's like, man, if I, like, if I invite the Holy Spirit, then... He's going to make me stand out in the, you know, in public with a, with a sandwich board sign. And, you know, he's going to make me do like weird, wacky stuff. And that's going to be embarrassing. And so, you know, and, I, and honestly, guys, I think Satan would love nothing better for us to believe that. Because then it's just going to cause us to just not want to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives. The goal of the Holy Spirit is not to just make you do weird stuff. Okay. Now, uh, the, the goal, one of the goals of the Holy Spirit is to to bring the truth of Christ into your life and to teach us how to walk in the kingdom. And walking in the kingdom might be different, might look different to the outside culture than what they're used to. They're so walking in the spirit might make us look a little bit different than the other, than the outside culture. And that's actually a beautiful thing. We wanna lean into that. But the, God, but the job of the Holy Spirit is not this whole, you know, let, let's see how committed they are. Let's see if I can get them to stand outside with a sandwich board, you know, or with a bullhorn, you know, that sort of stuff. That's myth number one. Myth number two is the Holy Spirit is always spontaneous. The Holy Spirit is always spontaneous. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that if it's Holy Spirit inspired, that means it's like, it's like not, it's always unplanned. You know, it's like, it's always spontaneous. I get this a lot. Uh, Not a lot, but I've gotten this over the years because sometimes people have said about Westside, they say, hey, um, the Holy Spirit isn't really a part of this place, is it? And I'm like, why do you think that? And they're like, well, because like you guys have this service order and your plan and, and uh, you never like go off the plan. And if this was like Holy Spirit inspired, then you'd go off, then it would be always unplanned. You shouldn't make a plan and just let the Holy Spirit lead. And I'm like, it's uh, not necessarily how the Holy Spirit works. Because this is a trick that you can play. And I'm going to give you a little behind the scenes look and a trick that some pastors do. I've never used it, all right? But, um, but if I ever use it, call me on it because it can be a trick. But you know what some pastors do sometimes? Is sometimes they get up and they say, hey, I had a sermon planned, but the Holy Spirit woke me up at three in the morning and he gave me something brand new. And I'm bringing it. And then everybody in the room goes, oh, this is a Holy Spirit inspired sermon. This is going to be good. This is going to be more Holy Spirit inspired than any of other of his sermons, you know? But, and could God wake me up in the morning and be spontaneous and completely change my message around? Oh, heck yeah. Oh, heck yeah. Is the Holy Spirit spontaneous sometimes? Absolutely. And even when we pray before service, like our band and stuff, we say, hey, here's our plan. But if God wants to do something different, let's just be open to it, right? So we do that. But you know what? Sometimes... When the pastor comes out and says, I had a dream and I'm bringing you the fresh thing, guess what that is an excuse for? Bad planning. (laughs) Oh no, it's Saturday and I don't have a sermon prepared. 
I'll tell them that this one came in a dream from the Holy Spirit and they're going to think it's a zinger. You know, it's like that kind of stuff happens. So I want you to remember this. Is the Holy Spirit spontaneous sometimes? Sure. But is the Holy Spirit present with you when you're making your plans? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so you say, hey, Lord, we're going to make some plans and Lord, be in this planning. And so in that sense, the Holy Spirit's there. And when that plan goes off without a hitch, is that less Holy Spirit inspired? No, no, it's not. So the Holy Spirit isn't always spontaneous. If we always think he is, then we're just going to truncate him and not really see that he's everywhere. The last myth is this, is the Holy Spirit is just for spiritual experiences at church. Sometimes we think that the job of the Holy Spirit is to give us some warm fuzzies when we're gathered together on Sundays. And trust me, guys, I'm a fan of Holy Spirit warm fuzzies, all right? I hope we get them every Sunday, you know? And there's moments, you know, where like the band's kicking into this thing and I'm like, oh, you know, I kind of like, I feel just like, oh my gosh. But remember this, the job of the Holy Spirit is not just to give us warm fuzzies when we gather on a Sunday or to give us some like hyped up, you know, kind of like big Holy Spirit experiences for our gatherings. Should we want those moments in our gatherings? Sure, sure, because the Lord meets us there. Sure he does, but remember this, and I've said this for years and I just wanna tell you again, is the Holy Spirit isn't just for Sundays and it's not just for this room. The Holy Spirit is given to you and given to me so that when you're pumping gas, sorry, we're in Oregon, when somebody else is pumping your gas <laughs> and, and they're pumping your gas and then in that moment, the Lord's like, you just feel like something's going on in their life and you just, maybe like this is a moment where you just start up a conversation with this person that you've never met. The Holy Spirit is not just for Sundays, it's for gas stations too. It's for every part of your life. So this is what I've said for years. The Holy Spirit isn't just for altar times, it's for all times. The Holy Spirit is for all times, not just altar times, okay? Remember that. Let's have a big view of the Holy Spirit and not just you know, kind of like put him on a day in a specific place, always has to be spontaneous and always has to be about doing weird stuff. Let's not put him there. The Holy Spirit's so much better and bigger than that. But today, just for the sake of just our conversation, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit in terms of transformation. Because we started out by saying change is hard. Transformation is hard. How come it's hard for us to change? One of the reasons is because sometimes we forget that that missing piece is acknowledging that the Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we can be truly transformed. Transformation. If we're really supposed to be disciples, then having him formed in us is going to be so, so key. We need to be transformed. Therefore, we need the Holy Spirit. The kind of like, kind of like, um, you know, uh, theological kind of uh, college way that people have described this word transformation is this other word, sanctification. Sanctification. You maybe you've heard that word to be sanctified. Sanctification. We put that definition up there. Sanctification is taken from the Latin word holy and to work. It's a status given to, given to someone who's surrendered their life to Jesus, meaning like it's the status of, because I've surrendered my life to Jesus, I've been given this status of like new. Like the old is gone, the new has come. I'm like, he's given me his righteousness. He's given me his holiness. It's a status and it's a process that continues to be done through the work of the Holy Spirit. This is interesting because it's like this tension. It's, it seems like it's a contradiction, but it's not. It's a status that I have. And then also at the same time, it's still a process. You are holy 
That is your status, but you are being made holy. That's the process. You are holy, but you are also being made holy. That what has happened to you in Christ is real, but it's not fully realized. It's real, you've been given a new identity, and yet, and yet, it hasn't been fully realized yet, that it's, st- it's here, but it's on the way. Isn't this interesting? This is this definition of sanctification. You have a new nature in Christ when you give your life over to him. There's this regenerated thing that happens in your heart. It's a miracle, and yet, and yet you're not transformed completely yet. This is the process of transformation, of sanctification, and it, will, and it won't happen unless the Holy Spirit is in part as a part of it. That's the missing piece. Some of you have been spinning your wheels because you're like, I'm gonna, maybe you, it's like willpower, you know, like I'm gonna be transformed. And you just, and, and it, you haven't invited the Holy Spirit to come and do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do. So how does it work? Um, I made up this, this diagram and I don't even know quite if it's complete. It's probably not completely right, but I, I think it's onto something, okay? So here's my diagram that I think is onto something, if I could frame it that way, that, This is how transformation, this is how change happens. The Holy Spirit is right in the middle of it. And the Holy Spirit points us to truth. There's practices involved. There's there's pain and trials and tribulation involved and also community. These are important things that we need to be transformed. So real quick, first is truth, truth. The Holy Spirit reveals truth. Truth, And I don't have time to read it all to you, but in Jesus's discourse in John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit an advocate. And he says so many awesome things about the Holy Spirit because he's telling the disciples, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send you my spirit. And here's what the spirit's going to do. And I encourage you to read that on your own. But so many times in there, Jesus says, here's one of the Holy Spirit's main jobs is the Holy Spirit's main job is to help point our hearts to the truth of Jesus, to reveal truth in us so that we have this compass so that we know where true north is to give us truth. Now, do you think that this is an important function of the Holy Spirit in today's day and age? Oh yeah. When there are so many claims out there to what truth is, when every single news outlet says, we know the truth, not them. And that and this other news outlet says, well, they don't know the truth, we do. Like, you know, no matter where you're looking, everybody claims to know the truth. And Jesus knew that there was, this was gonna be a problem for all people for all time. And so he says, I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit because I want to point you. I want to, you to have this like thing inside of you that helps reveal truth. So you know the truth about Jesus. And so you know the truth about who you are. But here's what I wanna say about truth. There's, there's a couple different kinds of truth. There's professed truth and then there's embodied truth. There's professed truth and then there's embodied truth. Professed truth is, hey, I believe something to be true. We all know how to do that. Embodied truth is, no, you're like gonna, you're gonna put your life into that truth. You're gonna, you're gonna lean into that truth with your very bones. Do you see the difference? Now, I would say that the Christian church for, for a long time has been really good at professed truth and not necessarily so good at embodied truth. That we are very good at professing the truth and, and you know, knowing kind of the, the, the facts and knowing you know, things about theology. We, we know that we have, the, we have the professed truth, but it's that embodied truth 
That's so, so important. Here's, a, here's an illustration for you that I know you'll get. Has anybody ever been repelling? Have you been repelling? Yeah, um, like four of you have been repelling. Come on, I mean, I know, come on, you've, you've done this. You know, it's like, it's the strangest thing because you are taught from early age to respect gravity, okay? Gravity is very important. We've all been taught it and we know what happens when you defy gravity. And so we know what, how gravity works. And yet you're on like, maybe you did a rock climbing thing and then now they're gonna lower you down. Or maybe you're like actually out, you know, on a, on a, on a cliff somewhere and somebody's gonna like, somebody's down below with the rope and they want you, they literally are gonna put a diaper around you, all right? And then they attach a rope to the diaper and then they want you to like lean out over the ledge and just sit back. Like that's literally what they want you to do. Now you might be up there and you might be like, you know what? I know, I know that the ropes are going to hold me. Like I know that this diaper thingamajig is totally going to work. Like you might be up there knowing, like I know you could, you could profess a creed about it. You know, you could have a creed that you recite about this rope harness thing. Um, You could even sing a song about it. You know, amazing ropes, how sweet the sound, you know? I mean, you could sing songs about it. You could, you could profess all day long about the rope, but it's only, it's only, only professed truth. It is not embodied truth until what? Until you lean back. And ladies and gentlemen, embodied truth always trumps professed truth. It always does. Because we can profess truth all day long and recite the creed about it and sing the songs about it, but it's only till it's embodied truth that it's actually true. You see what I, did you see what I just did? It's not until it's embodied truth, until, when, until it's actually like a thing. And so as a disciple of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is leading us to truth and not just to profess truth. As important as profess truth is, it's good to profess truth and know truth. But the Holy Spirit is pushing us to, li- to lean back into embodied, embodied truth. It's almost as like you need a way to live into the truth with your bodies. It's almost as if you need to find a way to live into that truth with your bodies, with our bodies. And that's why we need practices. You see that? That's why we need practices, like practices that my body actually does, that that's how I lean into truth. So Christian, they've been called disciplines, Christian spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices. These are so, so important and often so overlooked. Did you guys know that we have started Lent? Did you know that? This last Wednesday was, was Ash Wednesday. And so we're in this season of time where the early, ch- where, where church is all over, where we practice this, these, these days leading up to Easter. It's, you know what that is? That's like a, that's a practice. It's a practice that we lean our bodies into. Um, here's, here's the thing about practices is, um, I'll read this to you. This is from second Peter chapter one, verses three through nine. I love how Peter says it. It's, and it just hits us right in the gut. This is so good. He says his divine power, talking about, talking about Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit's power, his divine power has given us everything we need for godly, for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, 
having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Listen to what Peter's saying. He says, you have the power, you have all the power you need. So you've been invited into, into having an identity that's rooted in him to participate in the divine nature because you have all those things. And if you have all those things, then therefore, he says, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For you, if you possess, possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Listen to this. This is, this is powerful. Peter says, you don't lack the power to be transformed. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You don't lack the invitation into his divine nature. He's given you that wide open invitation. You're not lacking any of those things. Do you know what you're lacking? Effort. He says the thing that you're lacking, the thing that most of us lack is the effort that it takes to lean into those passages. I, you and I often lack the effort to do anything about, do anything about the Holy Spirit that's in us, anything about this divine nature that we've been invited into. We lack effort. Now, if you're thinking, oh, he's talking about works righteousness. Some of you are like, I don't know what that means. And other of you are like, maybe he's talking about works righteousness. I'm just telling you, no, I'm not. Not to, earning, your right, earning your salvation, not a thing, not a thing. It's only because of Jesus. So we don't earn our salvation. Or, and Peter's not talking about willpower either. He's not talking about, just try willpower, try to change. No, 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 he says, we've been given the power, we've been given the invitation, but what we have been invited to is to show up, is to show up with our effort. That's where we lean into these practices and build them into our lives. You could pray all day long for bigger biceps. You could. In fact, let's just pray right now for bigger biceps, all of us, you know, let's just pray for it. But you know, and can God give you bigger biceps? I guess, like he can, he, Jesus rose from the dead. So, you know, like more power to you. But is God probably gonna like make your biceps bigger if you pray about it? No, you gotta get to the gym if you want bigger biceps. You see what I mean? It's like effort. Like we gotta show up with our lives, with our effort. This is where sometimes we just lack because we just forget about the Holy Spirit and we forget that we've got the Holy Spirit. Now we get to lean in with these practices with effort. I want, my time's up. I, I wanna invite the band to come up. And as the band is coming up, and Terry, I'm just gonna kind of skip to the end here. You can go back to that diagram. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. He reveals truth. He gives us practices like fasting and Sabbath and, and, and boundaries and, and you know, so many and prayer and reading scripture, so many different practices that we get to do with our bodies because he wants us to live in embodied truth, not just professed truth. And then the Bible talks a lot about how God speaks to us and transforms us and changes us through the difficult things we, get, we go through, through our pain. The Bible calls it tribulations, trials. We have so many of those and God wants to use those as instruments and tools to transform us. And sometimes we run away when those things come, when really like those things are tools and instruments that God uses. And then lastly, we don't have to do it alone. God's given us a community of people together. 
to be able to love each other and care for one another and, and encourage one another and walk through all of these things together. Change will not come if you just say a prayer, just come to church when you can, and then try not to sin. It's not powerful enough. That's maybe where you've been spinning your wheels. And trust me, I think you should come to church. That's all great, please do. But you need more. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us. If Jesus needed the Spirit, so do you. And maybe this has been the missing piece that you've been looking for for a while. I just never knew that the Holy Spirit was, was available to you. So here's how we're gonna respond tonight. Is we're gonna sing a song. And there's a couple ways that we can respond. Maybe you just wanna, maybe you just wanna be at your seat and you just, I don't know, something I said tonight landed somewhere and you just need to do business with the Lord in your heart, you know? Can you ask for the Holy Spirit, like right where you're sitting, just as we're singing, just say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Just, I, I want the Holy Spirit a part of my life. Yeah, you can, you can, you can do that. What we also see in the scriptures is we see that when people are, when people want, are in, in the book of Acts in particular, people are want say, hey, I haven't heard about the Holy Spirit. Well, they go and they get prayed for and somebody just prays for them. And that's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit just kind of fills our lives. And so as we sing right over here, there's gonna be a couple people over by this sign on the other side of, of the baptism tank. We just love to pray for you. Just say, hey, I want the Holy Spirit to fill me, be a part of my life. Pray for that. We'll pray for that. Maybe you just want to come and, and take communion. Say, so Jesus, thank you that as you take that juice and that cracker, think about like the Holy Spirit has been given to you so that God is not just like out here, but he's in you. Communion is one of those ways that we say like, Lord, I want you in me. I want your spirit in me. And so maybe as you take communion, it's one of those ways where you say, Spirit, fill me. Fill me again. Fill me again so that I can be your hands and feet, so that I can be transformed, so that I can do the things that you've called me to do, so that I can be apprenticed to you, so that you can be formed in me, so that I can go out and be the people that you've called us and asked us to be. We need the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's the missing ingredient. We'll bring the lights down, I'll pray, and then can we just respond as we sing. Father, um, we just acknowledge that maybe uh, we just, we've been trying with our willpower. Maybe we thought just, uh, I don't know, that um, just knowing some things would be enough. But Lord, I, I pray that we would respond to the invitation that you have given us, that you want to give us your spirit and that you wanna fill us and you wanna give us access to who you are so that we could be apprenticed to you, so that we could be transformed and so that we can go out and be transforming agents in the world. So Lord, I pray, would we respond to that tonight? We receive it. We just, we, we wanna show up to it with our bodies. We wanna lean into that, that, that embodied truth because we know that's where really truth comes alive and you want us to come alive. So fill us tonight as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.